It's Florida Daily TV, brought to you by FloridaDaily.com. For all your news on politics, business, and education, it's FloridaDaily.com. Now, here's your host, Ed Dean. All right, welcome to another edition of Florida Daily TV, brought to you by FloridaDaily.com. I'm your host, publisher, Ed Dean, Don Sheriffs. I like the name. I always pronounce that. Did I get it right this time? You sure did. I certainly did. She is the Florida Director of the Environmental Defense Fund. I want to get into the flooding, uh, you know, the cost of inaction. Cost of inaction. You guys at edf.org, it is a, we did a story on it at floridadaily.com, and I want to talk about property values or property taxes maybe going up, electricity rates, that catches the eye of everything. When you talk about, and there's always a fascinating debate about climate change and everything else. Let me, let's go down this road about flooding in the state of Florida. We don't want to look like, and I don't mean any disparaging comments, we don't want to look like Houston. We don't want to look like New Orleans. You've got some of those, uh, even in the Republican State House, they're sitting back going, in Florida, hey, we need to start addressing this issue. It, why is it taking so long for at least to get some notoriety on this? This is not a new issue, Don. You've been covering this for some time. Why is it becoming a new issue, it seems like, in Florida, at least statewide, not just in South Florida? Well, I mean, quite frankly, the impacts are getting worse. So we're seeing, you know, and experiencing real-life climate change that used to just be conceptual. You know, Florida has a a reputation for getting lots of reports written by people outside our state talking about how we don't have a future. And there's been a real resistance to to adopting that, and I think fairly so. But now that we are realizing that these aren't, you know, climate change impacts that happen in my son's generation or my grandkids' generation, but it's actually happening right now, our elected officials understand that, you know, these things have to shift. We're seeing flooding just this week. I'm here in St. Petersburg. Many of my neighbors saw floods from Tropical Storm Etta. You know, FEMA says that a single flooding event for one inch in your home is about $25,000. So these are real impacts that are impacting families and residents and ultimately are going to impact our property tax values and make less money available for school, police, all the other services that are really important to Floridian families. Let's, I want to address the flooding thing here. Is it now the goal of groups like yours, the EDF, which is very popular, um, because for years, when you, when as a reporter here, not besides just a radio host, but as a reporter, it was always a national thing, a national thing, a national thing. And the only state that they maybe wanted to do something about it would have been Texas, you know, given in all the oil refineries. Is it, is it now that if we can't get something nationally done, uh, whatsoever with with a brand new president coming in, is it now that the best area is why can't we do both? Let's address it nationally and state by state. Sure, I think we absolutely have to do both. The truth is, and you'll see this if you look at the report that we published. The impacts are different, even county by county, right? So we have some areas that are just more vulnerable, and we'll see impacts sooner on the flooding front, and then we have other, you know places that will see different types of impacts. They'll see more heat-related deaths than flooding situations in some of the agricultural communities. So we have to be able to look at local solutions that are then also supported by federal remedies. There was an article that you guys had talked about. um, uh, The incoming Senate President Wilton Simpson and Chris Browse, incoming House Speaker, had did an article, they, I guess, uh, on this situation. It seems that it's becoming more of an issue because I think it's good because it's a different than what we see now going on in the news. What is the stand? What do you I want to get to the property uh, the taxes and electricity bills in a moment. Where do we try to address this? Or is it just getting that conversation going a win-win? Is this something that you think is going to take some time with legislature in the state of Florida? Or do you think this is something that there may be something we can move quickly on? 
There has been a palpable shift in the Florida legislature. Last year, we had our first climate change related piece of legislation passed. It was bipartisan. It's, it had robust support. Um, our Governor DeSantis stood up the Office of Resilience. They're working to, to figure out some plans to really help make Florida more resilient to these climate situations. And we just saw recently a joint op-ed um, by the Senate uh, President-designate right. um, Wilton Simpson and the House Speaker-designate Chris Sprouls, who are incoming leadership, that they have every intention of making Florida's resilience a high priority for this session. It, does it go more beyond it? And I got to tell you something, with the flooding you just talked about, we've seen for the last few days, um, if you ever get in a, a, like a town hall forum, nobody wants to talk about, hey, why isn't uh, my schools getting more funding? If you got a flooding problem, it ticks off everybody out there. And it seems like none of these issues ever become addressed, whether it's locally. And you're saying, hey, listen, we need to address them locally, but there's also the bigger picture as well. If, where would it be an area that you think that the bigger picture that we can talk about can still be done at a local level? So there's a few. And, you know, I think obviously we locally can't stem climate change alone, right? right? But we can do things that use greater efficiency that rely on clean and renewable solutions so that we can increase our electrical costs, which helps, you know, us in our wallets, but it also helps lower the amount of carbon emissions going in the air. Because the truth of the matter is, while you can deal with certain impacts of climate change by, you know, creating seawalls or even better natural infrastructure like mangroves, there isn't a whole lot you can do about the increased heat we're going to feel unless we really start to attack the issue at its core, which is carbon. At edf.org, you guys have what is called a cost of inaction. And one thing that I know gets a lot of hits is when you start talking about your local property taxes possibly going up, you talk about the cost of the electricity bill. Let's focus on the, the, the property taxes because if the flooding can't be addressed, whether it's local or, again, what can you have as a positive impact, you have some of your economists say that your property taxes are going to go up. Explain how the property taxes would go up to the audience that may not understand truly how that would work. Sure. I mean, at a basic level, flooding damages homes and therefore damages home values. And your property mm. tax that goes into your city uh, municipal functions is generated off the value of your home. So in addition to sort of the personal costs that we're all going to be dealing with for increasing homeowners insurance rates, we're also going to be looking at homes in more vulnerable areas are just going to be valued less. We're looking at um, about $347 million in property tax loss by 2045. That's a lot of goods and services that will no longer be available to the community. And the truth is that those most vulnerable homes get hit again and again. And, you know, we may lose entire areas. That hey, Don, forgive me for, Don, are you saying that if they're getting smacked, they're going to sit back and go, you know what, it's no sense to me living here anymore. So the property just stays there and the cities don't collect revenue. Is that one of the areas as well that, that, that the tax, because there's not enough people living in the area to share, as they say, spread the wealth. Right. And if they become uninsurable and those families can't afford right. to fix their home after each incident, then we can certainly expect that either they'll live in very unhealthy and unsafe conditions or they'll abandon the property. Do you see at the Environmental Defense Fund um, here in Florida, are we seeing a movement by insurance companies going, what's the point of covering more of this if we're still going to have more flood damage? And things? Do we Have you guys covered any of that or what? You know, what we've seen is there's actually really great opportunities. So the city of Palmetto Bay down in South Florida, the city of Miami Beach, both actually saw their um, 
insurance ratings improve based on some resilience measures that they took. Oh, really? So I think, you know, the, the, the real estate industry, certainly, uh, but even if you look at what an important piece of um, ad valorem revenue is for our economy, like we need to continue to invest in home ownership and protecting families. Like that's, there's no way we can avoid doing that. So how can we make decisions that keep those insurance rates low, that reduce our risk, um, so we can continue to call this place home. Does the same analysis that you just gave out uh, from uh, your all's economist, does the same thing apply um, or it, it, does it come across as a different scenario of how you applied that, how the property taxes could go up? Is that the same thing that would happen with electricity cost? Absolutely. So, you know, here in my home in St. Petersburg, um, we pay roughly $200 a month in electric bills. We expect to see that go up perhaps 7%. So I'm looking at another $300 a year for my family to pay just in electrical costs. Um, You know, that particularly hits our most vulnerable uh, low-income communities who are already paying 13% more in Florida than the national average for electric costs. And that's partially because it's just hot and we need to run our air conditioners a whole lot more often here. How do companies, people that are launching this today, when you got Florida Power and Light, Duke Energy, JEA, are they on board? Do you, are you able to have a conversation? Because they're the power industry out there. When you Are you able to sit down and have a conversation with the groups like this? And how do they respond to some of the things that the EDF talks about? Sure. And, you know, the Environmental Defense Fund has a long history of working with energy providers. We continue to do that. Uh, there have been some really great partnerships. But it, there is a tension when a company has a requirement to make the most profitable, uh, you know, revenue for their shareholders that may be at odds with the public good. And that's where we really rely on leadership in the legislature and in the Public Service Commission to prioritize energy efficiency. Florida has some of the most outdated energy efficiency standards for utilities in the country. Um, but we could actually save quite a bit by doing just a little bit, but it's gonna require all of us working together um, make that happen. So Don, I, I know we're gonna have to do another one of these before Tallahassee comes into session in March. I know they're gonna have committee meetings coming up. Um, what do you guys go on a scale of one to 10? Do you sit back and as much as we want to get a touchdown, what is the expectancy that you hope the least, I mean, have the conversation? I get it. Everybody wants a conversation, but we want to get, is the goal surprisingly, um, this is not as a lack of effort on your end. I'm saying you got a lot of elected officials, you know, sometimes even on issues that we all may agree with, we sit back and go, how come they're not moving the ball forward? Uh, how do you do the full court press? Uh, do you do you think that there'll be some type of a connection, maybe, of addressing these issues with the upcoming legislature in 2020, 2021, coming up in March? Yeah. No, we absolutely do. We think there's going to be a lot of movement around electric vehicles and adding infrastructure. Governor DeSantis sort of got the ball rolling with the Volkswagen settlement uh, and was able to, to put a significant amount of funds in. And now, um, following some legislation that passed last year, we're seeing some rules at the Florida Department of Transportation that would tee us up to be a leader in electric vehicle um, in the country. And so, you know, how do we then turn things like that or wind and solar manufacturing policies that can create jobs here in Florida, especially as we're trying to recover from COVID? And there's not going to be a lot of extra money in the state budget. That's exactly correct. All right. Don Sheriffs, she is the 
Political? No. I know you covered a lot of politics, but you're the Florida director. <laughs> I had so many titles. I'm like, you, go look at her bio. It's impressive. She does this, does that. Uh, she is the Florida director of the Environmental Defense Fund. They've got a great report out. It's got, it's worthwhile reading it. And I'm telling you, when you talk about property taxes going up, electricity bills, people read it. Um, we have the latest articles up at FloridaDaily.com. But their website, edf.org, has what's called a cost of inaction. Go read the report. It's very simplistic. It's not a lot of lawyer language in it. You know what I'm saying? So that's good. Hey, Don, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Ed. All right. And we'll have more coming up right here at Florida Daily TV.